the revelation of Jesus Christ. 66 books, one revelation. 66 books, one revelation. Very good. Okay, you got it. (laughs) 66 books, one revelation because the book is about Jesus. Because the revelation from Genesis through the revelation itself, the entire Bible, is of Jesus Christ. These are documents of the Divine One. Histories of the Holy One, if you will. Chronicles of the Christ. The journals are about Jesus. The letters, even to the smallest alphabetic degree, are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The smallest letter, the smallest stroke, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Yod. If you look at the Hebrew letters, the Yod, it's tiny. It looks like an apostrophe. So not the smallest letter will pass from the law, Jesus said, or the smallest stroke. The smallest stroke would be the Nikud. Nikud in the Hebrew speaks of dots. Literally a dot or a point. We would say a period. And there are little dots that go next to the Hebrew lettering, the consonants that give them the vowel sounds that, that help us understand or help the Jewish person understand pronunciation. So you've got the Yod, which is a little apostrophe. You've got the Nikud, which are dots. And that's what Jesus is referring to. When he says, not the smallest apostrophe or dot is going to pass from the law until all is accomplished. And the law, my friends, is the word of God. The law of the Lord that's, that's perfect. And the point is that the smallest letter, the tiniest stroke or dot, can be highly significant. Deeply profound, vastly revealing. Behold, verse 7 of chapter 1, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. And we talked about this Wednesday. So it is to be is just yes. Yes. Amen. Yes, Lord. The word is nigh in the Greek. Amen is amen in the Greek. So it says nigh, amen. Two little words that confirm a massive event. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Nigh. Amen. Yes. Amen. It will happen. Jesus returning in the clouds. Every eye will see Him. Mark that. No one's going to be absent from school that day. Everyone will see and know and be aware of the coming of the Lord. The Bible declares it. It must happen. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter who you are. Or what you're doing or how you're feeling doesn't matter what your intentions toward the Lord Jesus are every eye will see him and every tongue will confess every tongue will see him as Lord every tongue will confess every knee will bow Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father and to that I say yes amen yes Lord boy there are days where that yes is big in my vocabulary 
You know, first half of Saturday, I was just, yes, Lord. Yes. And then the second half of Saturday, I was like, yes, Lord. Yes. I won't say why. Why would I want to get political? (laughs) Two little words. Yes. Amen. Doesn't it feel good to say yes? And you know what? That's God's word to you and to me. It's yes. He is the God of yes. He is not the God of no. Now, I I didn't ask their permission, so I'm going to have to kind of uh, cast this so you don't know who I'm talking about. But I was having a conversation with a young lady this past week. And she was taking me through a picture book. (laughs) And it was marvelous. Going through this picture book, and she's showing me pictures that she has drawn of herself and her mom and her dad. And this one's this, and this one's that. And of course, I am absolutely fascinated. And we're going through the book, and she goes, now this one's me, and that's my mom, and I'm saying, mom, I want to go bowling, and she's saying, no. (laughs) This one's me, and and my mom, and and that's a ladder, and I'm saying, mom, can I climb up the ladder? And she says, no. (laughs) I kind of get the feeling perhaps she hears the word no a lot at this point, and and at her age and precociousness, I would say, no is probably the right word. But Jesus is not one who says, no, 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 no. He is the God who says, yes, yes, it is always yes with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, Paul said, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, 2 Corinthians 1.18, was not yes and no, but yes in Him. See, all other gods are yes and no. All other gods are arbitrary. All other gods are spurious. You you can't trust them. You don't know what they're going to say. Yes, no, maybe. Jesus is a yes. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Lord Jesus, will You be my Savior? Yes. Would You be the Lord of my life? Yes. Would You carry me on into eternity? Yes. Would You resurrect me from the grave? Yes. Because all the promises are yes in Him. Therefore, Paul says, also through Him is our Amen. To the glory of God through us. He says yes, we say Amen. It's yes and Amen. And the prophecies here in the Revelation are promises. This is a book filled with yes and Amen. That truly all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And the dangers and the curses and the tribulation and the wrath of God that you will see in this book no longer applies to you. That's the one time he'll say, no, you are not destined for wrath, but for salvation in Jesus Christ. Just say yes to him. That's why God sent the book. That's why Jesus sent the letters. And that's why it goes out the way it does, that we might respond with a great big yes. You know, Jesus even calls himself the amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, look it up. He says, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's me, Jesus says. Yes and Amen. And a single word, a single word like yes, can change a life. A single word like Amen can secure salvation 
It can speak volumes. But you know what? Even a single letter when it comes to God's Word can be profound. Well placed, it can be huge. As he says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And Jesus might as well say, I'm the A to the Z. I started it, I'm going to end it, I'm at the front, I'm at the end, it's all me, baby. Go back and look at verse 7 for a minute. I want to—I really want to hone in on verse 8, but, but let's look at something in verse 7. I, I hinted at this on Wednesday night, but it begins, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. Coming with the clouds. Where's John get that? Well, it's the revelation, right? So he's inspired. He sees. He he gets this. He but what he's what he's writing here is that is that this is what's going to happen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. How do you know, John? Well, I read Daniel. Keep your finger here and go back to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel seven. For John is quoting prophecy, pointing to, reminding us of the words of the prophet Daniel spoken. Can I just tell you why you're turning there? There are those who question the validity of Daniel. They say the prophecies of Daniel are way too historically specific to have been written in the 500s. They had to have been written like in the 200s, although all the evidence points to the 500s. And yet you read it, it's like a history of everything that happened from 500 up to the first century. It's, It's amazing. And then beyond. How do we know Daniel was legit? How do we know Daniel really was a prophet? Well, Jesus said he was, and that's good enough with me. He refers to him specifically as the prophet Daniel, and the moment Jesus Christ does that, he underscores, he validates the entire prophetic ministry of Daniel. So it was Daniel who wrote in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now clearly, you read that, it's a prophecy of the king and his coming. Right? This this son of man, if you've studied the Bible at all, if you've read it, you know, son of man, that's Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus coming. And it's a prophecy that He will come in a worldwide dominion. That He will have authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And they will serve Him. And so even 500 years before His first coming, this was prophesied about Mashiach, about the Messiah, the Son of Man, who would come and have a dominion which will not and cannot be destroyed. Daniel had this revelation of the Son of Man five centuries before He came the first time. Now John is writing the revelation of Jesus Christ about His second coming 2,000 years before His potential coming. That is 2,000 years ago was when the revelation was written, 95 A.D. Daniel, over 500 years prior to that, both talking about the same thing. And if you note there in Daniel, you see the Son of Man coming up before the Ancient of Days, and He is given a kingdom, and He's given dominion. And my question for you this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready for that kingdom? Are you ready today? 
You know, regardless of where you might be faith-wise, regardless of what you might personally believe, if all of this is true, clearly I believe it is, but if it's all true, and the Son of Man were to come in His glory right now, are you ready? Are you ready for the kingdom? Speaking of readiness, did, did I tell you that, that uh, the book of Revelation comes with an unpacking guide? Let's look at it one more time, just to be sure. Revelation 1.19, you might keep your, your finger or your thumb over there in Daniel 7. We're going to go back to it in a minute. But I want you to get this down. That the king is coming. He is coming with the clouds. He is coming in his kingdom. And His coming is declared in this book. And it's laid out for us chronologically. Watch this. Again, Revelation 1.19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen. John had just seen Jesus. John sees Jesus revealed. So he writes the things which he has seen. The person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1. And then, Jesus says, write the things which are. Chapters 2 and 3. The church age. John was in the church age, at the front end of the church age. We're going to spend some time in the things which are. Because the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, which is part 2 of this outline, the things which are, this is practical stuff for us. That the letters go out to the seven churches, historically, but they also go out to us personally and corporately. We're going to get into that two weeks from today. We'll open up and start into Revelation 2. And consider the things which are. That's part two of the outline. So you have part one. The things which you have seen. The person of Jesus Christ. Chapter one. And then part two. The people of Jesus Christ. The church. Chapters two and three. And then write the things which will take place after these things. Bible students. What is after these things? In the Greek. Metatauta. Say it with me. Metatauta. You gotta know that phrase. If for no other reason to tell people, yeah, I know Greek. <laughs> Metatauta, after these things. And I told you last week, you land in chapter 4, and for the first time after he says, write the things which will take place after these things. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, Metatauta, after these things. And that same verse ends with Metatauta, after these things. John is making it clear. After these things begins in chapter 4. After what things? John sees Jesus. Then he talks about the things which are the church age. And then after these things, chapters 4 and 5, the church is in heaven. The people of Jesus are caught up, are actually there in heaven. After these things, after the church age, we go home to be with Jesus. In a seven year honeymoon, earth time, with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, but are you really sure? I mean, you're saying with certainty that chapters 4 and 5, that the church is in heaven. Can you prove it? Yes, I can. And I will when we get there. But chapters 4 and 5, it's fantastic. The church is in heaven. By the way, every time I talk about the rapture of the church, I know how it sounds. I know it's fantastic. But our God is fantastic. And I have no problem believing what He declares to be the truth. So the church is going to be in heaven. Chapters 4 and 5. Meanwhile, back on earth, the earth is in tribulation, beginning in chapter 6 through 18. And the church is absent. Told you that last week. The church is absent from chapter 6 through 18. You find no mention or even hint or suggestion that the church is present on earth at that time. It's just gone. 
disappears out of the narrative. Interesting. So the church is not there. The earth is in tribulation. Chapter 6 through 18. And then chapter 19. Man, when we get to chapter 19, the bride is at the marriage feast of the Lamb. The king, we see him coming with the clouds in great glory. We see the bride following him in wedding clothes and army boots. That's all taken place, chapter 19. In chapter 19, Christ Jesus sets down on earth. He puts down the rebellion. He sets up his kingdom. Then, then, it's not over. Revelation chapter 20, the millennial kingdom. Six times he, he counts out. It's a thousand year reign of Jesus. A rule and a reign that, yes, is on the earth. We've come back with him. We're part of this royal government of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. After the millennial kingdom, that thousand year reign, we will see a final judgment, the great white throne. That judgment is not for you if you trust in Jesus. Your judgment was at the cross. But that judgment is for anyone who wants to be judged on your goodness. You might want to read Revelation 20 and think that through. If you want to stand before God, and you have every right to, you can stand before God and declare yourself to be good enough. But you might want to check your old high school yearbooks. (laughs) So Revelation 20, the millennial kingdom, the final judgment... Followed by, or at the same time the final judgment takes place, people have asked this question, what happens then? Well, while we're in the midst of that, while we're gathered around the throne, we see the destruction of the age-old heaven and earth, what I call divine global warming. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12, the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So yes, there is global warming. It will happen on that day, at that time. Well, you might think, hey, wait a minute though. So we're around the throne, and everything gets destroyed. Where will we go? What will we do? Where will we live? The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, where Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Revelation 21 and 22, and then we just go on into eternity with God. The eternal dominion of Jesus Christ, that that dominion that, that Daniel saw, saw Him coming on the clouds in glory, John saw it too. Enoch declared it, Isaiah declared it, Ezekiel declared it. I mean, this is not just one nutty prophet somewhere. These are all the prophets across thousands of years discussing and talking about the fact that Jesus is going to come. And He's coming with the clouds. Now listen, Wednesday night we briefly touched on this idea. He's coming with the clouds. The clouds. And that's not cumulus or stratus or cirrus or nimbus. He is coming with the clouds, and the clouds speak of multitudes of the faithful. Jesus doesn't just come riding in by Himself. He comes riding in with the bride, with the clouds. We will be in those clouds. As He returns, we come with Him in the midst of banks and billows of believers. I mean, I can't even imagine how marvelous that day is going to be. Returning with Jesus, following after Jesus. Why? Because that's what believers do. We follow Jesus. So if I'm in heaven and Jesus heads down to earth, that's, that's where I'm going to go. If Jesus goes from Jerusalem to Maui, I'm going. Wherever He is, that's where I want to be. That's, that marks the follower of Jesus Christ. You want to be where Jesus is. You want to hear the voice of Jesus. You want to do the things of Jesus. It's all about Jesus for the Christian, for the Christ follower. So we follow Him. Remember Jude 14? 
Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands, multitudes, multiplied millions of His holy ones. The great cloud. He returns on the cloud. And by the way, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says something interesting. It says, We have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. You ever get the feeling you're being watched? (laughs) When I was young in my faith, I didn't like the idea, the the, the old statement, I thought it was kind of old school fire and brimstone preaching, God's got His eye on you. He's watching you. You step out of line. Hey, remember, remember, in Jesus it's all about yes. It's all yes in Jesus Christ. But it made me a little uncomfortable. I thought, well, you know, when I, when I teach and when I would lead Bible studies with other teenagers and we would, we would hang out together, I, I didn't like to go to that point. I loved it when someone said, he's got his eye on you because he can't keep his eyes off you. Now that was cool. I'm good with that. But the, the whole he's watching you, I, I didn't really like that. It made me a little uncomfortable. It kind of creeped me out. And then I came to Hebrews 12 verse 1. We have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Uncle Fred's watching. Incredible. A cloud of witnesses whose eyes are on you. Man, how many of you were weirded out last Wednesday when your phone went off and you looked down and Trump's calling? <laughs> we were in staff meeting. Phones start going off. We're like, what is going on? You know, I was hoping it was the rapture. Rick, get ready. I'm ready, Lord. <laughs> Presidential alert. Gang, they know where we are. Big Brother's watching. Listen. There are two things I want you to take out of this idea that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Number one, when you think no one knows about your secret sin, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You just are. Oh, guilt tripper. No, no. Open your eyes. My prayer these days anymore is, Lord Jesus, anything you have to do to make me aware of my sin and to sanctify me from my sin, do it. And when I think that I am surrounded by all those who have gone before, saints who love the Lord, and yes, that includes my grandmothers, Irene and Sybil, who I hold in the highest esteem. Those two ladies had such an influence on my faith. And when I think of them being right there with me, that affects my choices. And it should. I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. John? John? The revelator is there? I don't want John to see me doing that. I don't want Jesus to see me doing that. You know? My my standard standard for, for any behavior is anything you can do in the presence of Jesus, do it. He's yes. It'd be good. Anything you can't do, why? And why would you? We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But better still, the next time you feel all alone in your faith, that cloud of witnesses is cheering you on. Imagine being in a stadium filled with people. Imagine being Russell Wilson at Quest Field or whatever we're calling it, Century Link Field, whatever it is now. Imagine being there and you have just thrown a 90-yard touchdown pass. What up? And the crowd goes wild. How does Russell feel? 
I mean, do you, do you think he's going, man, I just felt terrible. They were all cheering for me. and Man, I hate when they do that. Are you kidding? It'd be like cloud nine. Great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering you on. They're cheering on your faith. Man, walk before the great cloud of witnesses. Walk before the Lord Jesus. And never forget, He's coming in the clouds. He's coming. He's cheering you on too. He wants you to be victorious. That's why He died. He's coming on the clouds. So the bottom line is, follow Him now, and you will follow Him then. Follow Him now. You will follow Him then. John writes in 1 John 3, verse 3, Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Look into Jesus. It's got a marvelous purifying effect on our lives. Well, watch this. Back in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's vision continues. We saw and note this in verses 13 and 14 that the Son of Man comes up before the Ancient of Days. So just for understanding's sake, the Son of Man is who? It's Jesus. Pretty obviously, he called himself Son of Man. He's referring to himself in that way. But then he comes up to the Ancient of Days. Who would that be? Hmm? That's God. Lord God, Yahweh, the Almighty, we might say. Okay, look at verse 21. Daniel says, I kept looking, and that horn, the horn there, that's the Antichrist. I don't have time to really go into it, but the horn is Antichrist. He's always horning in on something. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came. Wait, what? And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Skip down to verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. Okay, wait. So the Son of Man came up before the Ancient of Days and was given dominion in a kingdom. And the next thing we see is the Ancient of Days is coming with His kingdom. I thought the Son of Man was coming. I thought the Ancient of Days was Yahweh, God the Father, El Shaddai, and it's Christ who then comes, right? 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 (laughs) The prophet Micah, he says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His go, and who is that? That's, these are Sunday school questions. Very easy answer. Jesus, thank you. It's Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, the babe of Bethlehem. He will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, the days of eternity. That sounds an awful lot like ancient of days. So the question comes out, is Yeshua ancient of days, or is Yahweh ancient of days? Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. And yet some are confused. And some are muddled by this. This is one of the most important concepts in Christian faith that we could possibly discuss. We have discussed it many times. We are going to again. You see, Jesus asked a question. He had the apostles there at Caesarea Philippi, Banyas, and He's talking to them. 
And he begins to ask the most important question that has ever been asked in all of history. It is the most important question that you can ask and or answer. It's more important than anything else you will ever do with your life. Your answer to this question will define eternity for you. And the question is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, we get into all kinds of questions and debates. Evolution versus creation. The scientific method versus biblical faith. And people want to get into that stuff and talk about how can you believe, how can you believe something like, oh, I don't know, the earth is created in six days. Come on, how do you believe that? We all know we've been here billions and billions of years. Well, listen, Carl Sagan, we can have that conversation. Or we can answer the right question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that is the defining question. All the other stuff is fine to discuss. I'm not saying that we are not to be intellectually minded or intelligent in our thinking. But you have to answer. Everybody has to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? That question will define your eternity. That's the one. Your answer to that is the one that matters. All the other stuff will come together. All the other stuff begins to make sense and you find understanding in it and can discuss those other things. But you must answer the question, who do you say that I am? John. John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's there on that rock, that isolated, desolate rock called Patmos in the middle of the Aegean Sea. It's all by himself, and yet he's not by himself. Alone but not lonely, because he's worshiping and praying. He's in the Spirit. In fact, literally, if you look at at verse 9, you can go back to Revelation chapter 1. In verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was literally in spirit on the Lord's day. I was in spirit on the Lord's day, John says. Great place to be, by the way, on the Lord's day. You could be in Costco or you could be in spirit. You could be in Target, or you could be in Spirit. You could be in CenturyLink Field, or you could be in Spirit. Oh, Rick, I am in Spirit in CenturyLink Field. Yeah, and you can't even hear yourself think. He was in Spirit on the Lord's Day, and suddenly, God spoke. My friends, this is where the revelation begins. It was not visual at first. It was audible. He heard before he saw. Oftentimes that's exactly how faith comes. That's how faith works. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing, literally, by the word Christ. Romans 10.17. Faith comes from hearing. Got to hear Him. Got to hear the word. Got to have faith in Jesus. And so there he is, John. And he, he hears Jesus. He hears the voice. And the voice says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And the revelation began. Wait a minute. You said he heard Jesus? Well, I read that verse and it says, the Lord God said this. It even says, the Almighty. I believe, as John sat there, on that desolate island, he heard the voice. And the voice was all too familiar. He heard the voice he had heard a hundred times if it was once. He heard the voice he heard in the Sea of Galilee. 
The voice that spoke to him as they wandered the hills of Judea. The voice that called ahead to him as they were in the streets of Jerusalem. He heard the familiar voice. Now, of course, this time it was the volume of a trumpet. It was loud. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. But I believe that John knew that voice intimately and personally. And I want to show you why. We're going to back into this verse this morning. So we start at the end and we'll work our way back to the beginning of verse 8. And the last thing he says is, I am the Almighty. The Almighty. What a word. You know, sometimes we'll read and study Scripture and we're moving so quickly because we want to get understanding and that's good, but we'll forget what we're reading. We won't stop to think about the implication that He is the Almighty. The Pantocrator. The Greek word is Pantocrator. It's a compound word from, from Pantos, which means overall, and Kratos, which means inherent strength. Inherent dominion. Remember he was given dominion? Jesus had dominion. The Son of Man had dominion. Well, this is an inherent dominion. Kratos is a Greek word that's different than you Bible students. You've heard the word dunamis. Dunamis means power. You know, we have the flow of dunamis. Jesus said in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power, dunamis from on high. That's a flow of power. That's a power we receive and then allows us to act. But Kratos is inherent power. It's strength because that's who he is. Pantocrator literally translates omnipotent. Omnipotent. I am omnipotent, he says. He is the one who holds sway over all things. There is no greater inherent power than that of the Pantocrates, our God, who is over all the Almighty. But wait, Almighty God. Then why do some of our Bibles have that verse written written with, with red letters? Does your Bible have it, verse 8, in red letters? Some don't, some do. If you're reading the New American Standard Bible, most of them don't even have red letters. You know, Jesus didn't speak in red letters. We put that in, you know. We want to make sure that we're checking the, the words of Jesus. Can I just take you on a little side note, because it's what I do. The words of Jesus are no more important and no, more, or, and no less important than the entire Bible. Because it's all His Word. I've had people say, well, if it's not in the red letters, hey, if it's in the Bible, it's Jesus' Word. It doesn't matter what color the letters are. You can make them the pink letters for all I care. It doesn't matter. It's the entire Word of God, and Jesus Himself is that Word. The Pantocrates, though, back to it, Pantocrator. He says, this is the Almighty. I am the Almighty. And again, John in the verse says, He's the Lord God. Says the Lord God. It's right there. And that sounds like Yahweh. That sounds like God the Almighty. So let's determine who this really is. This name, this title, the Almighty, the Pantocrator, or Pantocrator, if you're getting the emphasis right, this word is seen ten times in the New Testament. 
The first time we see it, Paul uses it, and he uses it this way. 2 Corinthians 6.18, he quotes and says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, says the Pantocrator. I'll be a father to you. Who's talking there? Now I'm hearing Jesus, but it's God the Father, right? I mean, I'll be a father to you. So that's pretty obvious that the Almighty is speaking of God the Father. Now, you're right, but just, yeah. God the Father, right? So then there are nine more uses of the word Pantocrator in the New Testament. All of them are in the Revelation. And so we begin, and follow these through with me real quickly. Chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, the Pantocrator. That's it. He's the omnipotent one. We see it there. Skip over to chapter 4, verse 8. Let your fingers do the walking. Try not to sprain anything. Chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And you thought the great cloud of witnesses was watching you. Full of eyes. And night and day, day and night, these are the cherubim, and they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, they say. Well, chapter 11, verse 17. Revelation eleven seventeen. Oh, I love this section. I can't wait till we get to chapter 11. But I'm going to have to. Verse 17, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Guess what? That section is talking about the reign of Jesus Christ. But, but it says the Lord God. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty, is He talking about? Is He talking to Jesus? Go on to chapter 15. Revelation 15, verse 3. This is the fourth time we see this word used in the Revelation. They sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works. O oh, Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Hmm. I don't know if this is clearing it up for you. Chapter 16, verse 7. Keep going. The fifth of nine times we see it. And I love this. Chapter 16, verse 7. And I heard the altar saying. This is the altar saying. This is the ultimate altar call right here. <laughs> yes, O Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Almighty. True and righteous are your judgments. Okay, the, the altars just proclaim this. Continue on. Verse 14 of chapter 16. So just skip down a little further. <laughs> Start in verse 13 because it's just so weird. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Frogs. Great. And they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Pantocrator, the Almighty. And we'll explain what's going on with these froggy guys 
We'll talk about them later. But, but once again, we see now the day of God, the Pantocrator, the Almighty. Is that Yahweh or is that Yeshua? I, we're still trying to figure this out. Continue on to chapter 19, verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6. Oh, then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! Oh, by the way, you know the yes and the amen? Amen is one of only two words that are universal. Every language on the planet, if you're German, if you're Italian, if you're Russian, you say amen. You don't have a Russian word for amen, you just say amen. The other word is hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, they say, for the Lord our God, the Pantocrator, reigns. The Almighty reigns. Is this cleared it up for you? Look at verse 15 of Revelation 19. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. And now you're going, all right, that's Jesus. Yeah. So that with it he may strike down the nations. All right. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Yes, he will. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. God the Pantocrator. So he's treading the winepress of God the Almighty. So seems to me like we're seeing Yeshua treading the winepress of Yahweh here, right? I'm just trying my best to confuse the socks off of you guys. Go to chapter 21, verse 22. Revelation 21, 22. Speaking of the new Jerusalem. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Pantocrator, and the Lamb are its temple. That's pretty clear. We've got Yahweh, the Pantocrator, and the Lamb, Yeshua. Both mentioned here, and they are the temple of New Jerusalem, as it were. I'll explain that, you know, ultimately, if we get there before He comes. And if we don't, He'll explain it. There should at least be no question about the presence of the Almighty God throughout Revelation. Right? He's everywhere. He is bringing this revelation. So how can you say, back in chapter 1, verse 8, how can you say that John heard the familiar voice of Jesus, the Pantocrator? When it's clear in these other places, or seems at least most of the other places, to be Yahweh, the Lord God, the Almighty, El Shaddai, except of course chapter 11, verse 15 and following where it's talking about the reign of Christ and he calls Him the Almighty. I'm confused. If you're still confused, listen to Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. He who does not love Me does not keep My words. Listen, and the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. When Jesus spoke, God spoke. The words of Christ, words of the Father. Now, John is simply writing down what he heard. But I am absolutely inclined to believe that the tenor of the voice was that of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but Rick, there's all these other Pantocrators. I mean, all seems to lean toward, with a few little exceptions, seems to lean toward 
Almighty God and then Jesus. And, and here's the problem that we as Christians, many Christians have. It's, it's we, we, we diminish Jesus and we distance God. God the Father, Lord Almighty, the Omnipotent One. And He is. But He's way out over yonder. And Jesus is here, but He's not. I mean, He's... He's God. He's in the Trinity. But as we've talked about so many times, too many believers in Jesus think there's God the Father and then Christ the Son and then the Holy Spirit. And it's a a, a three-tiered Trinity. And so when I pray, I can't say, Oh, Holy Spirit of the living God. I, I can't pray, Lord Jesus. I have to pray, Our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. And so we we play this game and we try to figure out this game and our puny little minds are are, are bursting trying to understand. I'm so thankful for the revelation because I think think this will be made clear. He is the Pantocrator. That is, Jesus is. So right now, if you're still not sure, just take my word for it. Go forward. Go up in the verse. Who is and who was and who is to come. Why does he say it like that? I mean, don't we mostly in our songs say who was and who is and who is to come? And that's chronological. I can follow that train of thought, but who is and who was and who is to come is not bouncing all over the place. And yet the Pantocrator, the Almighty, says, I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's even different than the cherubim. If you look over in Revelation chapter 4, when they say the same thing, they say who was and who is and who is to come. They sing it correctly. But here the Almighty, this one who's speaking in verse 8, he, he says who is and who was and who is to come. He begins, listen, he begins with who is because he is I am. He is I am. I am the one who is. And I was. And, and, and I am to come. But he is the I am. He always is. He's never not. The I am. Remember Moses was standing there before the burning bush? And he's trying everything he can think of to get out of going back and delivering Israel. Read the section. It's really funny. He's just putting off on all kinds of excuses. Finally, he says to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they'll say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Oy vey! And God responds, Yahweh, I am who I am. Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the YHWH, that is, I am. And God spoke that and He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you. And I've told you, when you're studying through the Hebrew Scriptures, every time you see the word Lord in small caps, it's Yahweh, it's the I am, it's the same word used in Exodus 3.14 when He tells Moses, That's my name. I am the Almighty and I am who is and who was, and who is to come. So it sounds again like we're talking about Yahweh here. The I Am. It's got to be Yahweh. Almighty God, right? Hold on there, Holy Moses. Who is? Well, in that moment, the voice speaking, who is, is the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ, who is. There is John hears Him. Who was? 
Jesus in His first coming. He was. He was. And then He died, and then He rose, and now He is. And He is to come, which can speak of His second coming. So in this moment, as He's speaking to John, I am the one who is, and I was, and I am to come. And it speaks also of Jesus. Here's a, a beautiful picture of the, of the span of Jesus as John would have known Him. And of course, we get some Old Testament help when we hear Isaiah prophesy in Isaiah 9 verse 6, a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. And I really dig this. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. All names for the one and the same Jesus Christ who is declared as Mighty God and Everlasting Father. But He's Yeshua. Yeah. And Yahweh. He's Yahweh? Yes. And Yeshua. He is what we would call the visible representation of the invisible God. And in Jesus we see God. It was Jesus who's in another argument with the Pharisees. They're coming at Him. They're calling Him, you know, of the devil. And Jesus says in John 8.56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Well, when in the world did Abraham see Jesus? Well, Jesus visited him. That's another study for another time. Book of Genesis. Jesus came in. It's called a, a Christophany. A pre-incarnate appearance of God in the person of Jesus. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. You're not even as old as Brian Tidehouse. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, man. <laughs> it's just what happens in my brain. You're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. In Greek, ego e me. In Hebrew, Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh. And they freaked out. Because in that moment, Jesus said, I am. I am the Almighty. Who is, and who was, and who is to come. Or as the Hebrew writer puts it, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, and today, and forever. Yeshua and Yahweh share their eternality. They are... God Most High. They are Almighty God. But but don't stop there. Because He's giving a definitive and decisive self-revelation as the voice declares unequivocally, I am the the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega. Oh, you've seen that applied to Jesus. You know, you've heard that. If you've gone to church, you've heard it. Alpha and Omega. That's a Jesus thing, right? Well, here, Alpha and Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty, the Pantocrator. Alpha and Omega. This is huge. First and last letters of the Greek alphabet, but from the alphabet comes words. And the Word was in the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus is the alpha being. Not the alpha male. He's the alpha being. 
He is the first. He is the immovable mover. He is the beginning of all beginnings. The beginning of all created things. He is the beginning without beginning. But He's the one who got the ball rolling. You know, I love the conversation with people who don't want to believe in an eternal God. And they want to say, well, the earth was formed through billions of years of evolution. Fine, let's go all the way back to the very beginning of those billions of years. If you want to claim that, what started the ball rolling? How did you, well, well, there were two... You know, there were two little atoms and they ran into each other. I'm like, no, there was an Adam and Eve. They ran into each other, but that's another conversation. (laughs) So the atoms ran into each other and and big bang, big explosion, and it all started. Where'd they come from? Well, I I mean, you know. And and what we've come to now, even in, in our discussions, is even the evolutionist has to concede something had to do this. Something had to get it going. There had to be an immovable mover. There had to be something that started the process rolling in the very first place. I tell you, it's Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha. He is the beginning of all beginnings. He started it all. And it's Jesus who said, listen, John 10.30, I and the Father are one. One God, same God. John 12, 44. He who believes in me, Jesus says, did not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me, sees the one who sent me. Now listen, I could go to the grocery store, and I could come up to the counter, and I could say, hey, where's the milk? Because I don't know these things. Dairy section. Why do you need milk? Well, because my wife sent me. My wife Cheryl sent me to come and get the milk. So I could say, like Jesus, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but the one who sent me, she sent me, so I'm here to get the milk. What I would not say is, He who sees me, sees Cheryl. That's just so wrong on so many levels. He who sees me has seen the Cheryl. And you know I'm wearing a wig and it's just getting weird. I wouldn't say that. Jesus doesn't just say, the Father sent me. He says, you're looking at Him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. Lord, show us the Father. How can you say that, Philip? Look at me. Look at me. I mean, we have it written down in Scripture, but I can just imagine Jesus in that moment. Philip goes, show us the Father, and Jesus goes, Have you been with me so long, Philip? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. But some still remain skeptical. They remain unconvinced. They come knocking on your door. The Jehovah's Witness will tell you, Jehovah and Jesus are not one. They will tell you, if you press them on this, you ask, who's Jesus? They'll say, son of God. Okay, I agree with you there. Is Jesus God? Well, he's the son of God. I didn't ask that. Is he God? Well, and and again, pressed to the nth degree, the Jehovah's Witness will have to tell you, as some of you already know, that what they teach is that Jesus is actually the Archangel Michael. Okay, so not God. Well, this book says he's God. This book declares he's Pantocrator. This book says he is and was and is to come. This book says he's Alpha and Omega. 
That's who Jesus is. And they're going to fight you on it and they're going to disagree. The Mormon will knock on the door. Ask them the question, who is Jesus, Son of God? Is Jesus God? Yes, they'll say. <laughs> hey, God. Little G. Is Jesus Elohim? That'd be the question to ask your Mormon friends. Do you believe that Jesus and Elohim are one and the same God? They cannot say yes to that. They believe that Jesus is God just like you can be a God. Or I can be a God. Ask my wife. I'm no God. So what do you do? They're at the door. There's the question. Now you can do what you know John said in, in 2 John chapter 2 where he says, <laughs> don't invite him in. Oh, I'm sorry, you're Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> or you can have a conversation. If you're going to do that, I encourage you to do this. I want to give you a tool here, a great little tool. And we'll start in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1. You're standing there, you're at the door, you're, you're with the, the visitor at your home, and they, they don't believe that Jesus is God, and you're trying to explain that Jesus is God from the Bible, from a scriptural perspective. So go, okay, let's look at this. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So read that verse and say, who is that? And they will say, God. It's kind of obvious. Duh. You know, the Lord God. You say, okay, great, great. Yeah, I see that too, the Lord God. So let's go back to the prophet Isaiah. Go ahead and do that with me. Isaiah chapter 41. Turn to Isaiah 41. You might want to note these scriptures in order too. I don't, did I put them up there in order? Kind of? Yeah, okay, I did. Good. Isaiah 41. Don't go ahead of me. Stay with me on this. Verse 4. Isaiah 41.4, about midway into your Bibles, about halfway point, maybe a little bit to the left of halfway. Isaiah chapter 41. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, Yahweh, am the first, and with the last, I am He. Right? So who is that? Well, it's Yahweh. I mean, that's what they would say. Who is that? They'd say, well, that's God. You go, okay, you're right. Very good. A plus. Too enthusiastic. Thumbs up. Okay, go to Isaiah 44, verse 6. For the gold star. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Which, by the way, is a real interesting way to put it. Either that the Lord, the King of Israel, is His Redeemer, that is, the Redeemer of Israel, or it could also be the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, Israel's Redeemer, Yeshua. The Lord and Yeshua both there. That's what I think is being implied, the Lord of hosts. But, he says, I am the first and the last. There is no God besides me. Well, who's that? Oh, the Jehovah's Witness is getting real excited right now. That's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. There He is. See? And there is no other God besides me. So if you're asking me if Jesus is God, you're crazy because there's only one. No other God besides me. Alright. Skip on over to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verse 12. I will tell you what you're doing is weaving a little web. Isaiah 48, 12, which says, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called... I am He. I am the first. I am also the last. The first and the last who called Jacob. 
Well, I go back and I read that in Genesis and I see Yahweh calling Jacob. I see the interaction there. I also see more. But but we're not going to put that on our Jehovah's Witness friend yet, on our Mormon friend. We'll just say, who is this? And they'll say, that's God. You're still talking about God. Right you are. Turn all the way to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. Revelation 21, 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. Tetelestai. Jesus said on the cross, Tetelestai. It is finished. And it would be so cool if the word done there was Tetelestai, but it's not. But it's still kind of cool. Right? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus promised that in John 7. I will give you the water of life. Man, come to me. You thirsty? Rivers of living water will well up from within you. Jesus promised that. But you can still ask them, who is this speaking, this Alpha, this Omega, this beginning and the end? And they will likely say, well, that's God. Every one of these verses you're showing me just tells me that's God. And you say, well, yeah, that's really good. Turn over to chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 12. Now it starts to get a little murky again because he says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is the one who's coming? They can still say, well, that's got to be Almighty God. That's still Yahweh speaking, because only Yahweh is the Alpha and the Omega. And now you've got them. Go back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Revelation 2, verse 8, where all of these verses proclaim the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, all of them talking about the Lord God, clearly talking about Yahweh. And then you get to Revelation 2, verse 8, and Jesus speaking to the angel of the church in Smyrna said, Right the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ. Are there two firsts and lasts? Are there two alphas and omegas? Or is there just one, one alpha and omega, one first and last, one God? Just one, and yet Jesus says, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. And if you really want to drive it home, Revelation 1.17, John says, I saw him and I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, (laughs) I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. No question the resurrected Christ. No question that is Jesus. And He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last. That's what Yahweh said. Yeah, because Yahweh is Yeshua. And Yeshua is Yahweh. And the reason I'm taking the time to drive this point home is it matters. Why? Why does it matter so much? Isn't it just theology, you know? You think Jesus and God are one. I think Jesus is very close, you know, that he, and, and I'm saved by Him. And I believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? Is it? Go back just a book 
to 1 John chapter 2, and I remind you of what John wrote. We just studied a few weeks ago. We're back to the question, my friends, that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe me to be? He first said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're one of the prophets, or some say John the Baptist or Elijah. All wrong answers. Jesus turns to the apostles and says, who do you say that I am? It is the all-important question. John says in 1 John 2.22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Guys, put it into context. What did he just say? If you deny Jesus is the Christ, that is the spirit of Antichrist. How do you break that down? The one who denies the Father and the Son. What do you mean? The Father and the Son are Jesus the Christ. The visible representation of the invisible God. Go on to verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one also who confesses the Son has the Father also. Father and Son. Yahweh and Yeshua. Both the Almighty. Both God. This is God we're talking about. Because to deny the Father and the Son is to deny the Father in the Son. The Son in the Father. The inseparable unity eternally of Yeshua and Yahweh, Christ and Jehovah. Which is why I told you a few weeks back, I have finally come to the point that I have a problem saying that Jesus and God were separated at the cross. God was on the cross. God was on the cross. I need to address something else with that because I got all day. Someone asked the question, well, if God was on the cross, and I don't know who this was, it was one of you guys, but someone did, but it got back to me. It all gets back to me. No, mostly I'm clueless, but this one got back to me. God on the cross, does that mean God committed suicide? No. God committed sacrifice. It was God on the cross. He didn't go find an angel to do the dirty work. Where's Michael? Where is that guy? I mean, can you imagine the scene in heaven? Gathers all the angels and God says, Alright, I need a volunteer to go down and and be crucified. Any takers? And like, millions of angels all step back and Michael's standing there. Oh, you guys! (laughs) What if an angel had died for us? What would that mean? Not a lot. Not a lot. Or, or, Or God says, Hey, hey. Tell you what we're going to do. Let's get one of my kids. Can you imagine? Can you imagine me telling you all, look, um, we're under a serious threat this morning. We have a gunman in the lobby. He says, unless one of us come out, he's going to kill all of us. David, wh- why don't you head on out there? What would you think of me as a father? But if I said, I got it, and walked out the door and took the bullet, God on the cross took your bullet. He was killed. God in Christ, again the visible representation of the invisible God. And understand that Yahweh and Yeshua are one. To speak of the one is to speak of the other. To speak to the one in prayer is to speak to the other. So you know what? Honestly, you can say, Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. You can pray to the Father. You can say, dearest Lord Jesus, I desperately need you right now. You can say, Spirit of the living God, would you fill me and teach me and help me understand you better. And you know what? You're speaking to the same God. And He hears you. To seek the one is to seek the other, which is why you cannot get to the Father unless you go through Jesus because He is the Father. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. To believe in the one is to believe in the other. And to deny Christ as God is to deny God. Again, it's Theology 101. So many Christians struggle with this, are unclear on the matter. The Bible is not unclear. Twenty times it refers to our God and Savior. Including Titus 2.13 that says, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Or Isaiah 43 verse 11 that says, I, even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Now listen, He is the Alpha Being, He's also the Omega Man. Did you ever see the Omega Man? Anybody see that old 1971 Charlton Heston movie? Please don't. (laughs) Post-apocalyptic movie about Charlton Heston, he's the last man on earth. You know, I thought playing Moses would be enough. He's the last man on earth, and it's this brutal movie. In fact, the, the, the end of it is he's skewered in a fountain. You know, the blood's going out, and it's just... Anyway, the Omega Man, the last man. But that's not what Omega means. Not here. Remember what I said when we began? Sometimes the smallest letter, like the Yod, or the smallest stroke, like the Nikud, can be incredibly significant. Alpha and Omega are letters, but they're words. They're words in the Greek alphabet. Alpha which is Alpha, Lambda, Phi, Alpha. It's a word, the Alpha. You've got Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon. You can spell these out with Greek letters. You've got, finally, Omega. And Omega is Omicron, Mu, Epsilon, Gamma, Alpha. That's how you would spell it out with the Greek letters. It's a word. Alpha is a word. Omega is a word. And in verse 8, John writes out, I am the Alpha. He writes out, Alpha, Lambda, Phi, Alpha. Jesus is the Alpha. He's the beginning of it all. He started it and off we went. But then we get to Omega and John doesn't write Omega. He just writes (laughs) Omega. In other words, it's not Omicron, Mu, Epsilon, Gamma, Alpha. It is just the single letter Omega. Check every Greek manuscript we have of the book of Revelation. And it's, I am the Alpha, written out, and the Omega. And I'm really excited about this. I'm going to introduce for the first time in 15 years of Bible study here at the bridge, a graphic illustration. Ready? Are we ready up top? See, everybody's, they're like, you got to put something up on the screen to give us a graphic. So I got a graphic for you. Here it is. This is all you see. Keeping it real, baby. Here it is. This is what you would see. You're reading through. You're reading the letter. John's writing. How did John know what Jesus was saying? But that's what he wrote. And if you're reading in the Greek, you see, I am the Alpha written out and the Omega. Omega. But just the letter. Why does that matter? Jesus is saying, 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Every time, he says it three times in the Revelation. We already saw him earlier. Revelation 1.8, Revelation 21.6, Revelation 22.13. Every single time he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's Alpha written out and it's the single letter. It's like he's saying, oh, oh, oh. Why does he write it that way? Because Jesus is the Word never ending. He begins all things gets the ball rolling, created us, started it all, and moves us forward. He is the Alpha, written out, and He's the... (laughs) He's the Omega into eternity. He never ends. Jesus is Himself. The Word never ending. With Him, the end is just the beginning. And you come to the end of the book, and Jesus is the Alpha and the... And He never ends. Which means, for a thousand years, we will try to plumb the depths of His character and we will run out of time. Then we're going to head into eternity and billions upon billions of years into eternity, if I could even put that time stamp on it, we're going to be going, He's amazing. He is wonderful. He is the oh, He never ends. He is the Word never ending so that we will join with David. We will be in that great cloud of witnesses and we will say, every day I will bless you. Psalm 145 verse 2. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. I am the Alpha and the oh. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, after all, who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do you know Him as both God and Savior? He can begin your faith this morning, right now. He can begin your eternity right here and now. He's the Alpha. But you will never be done knowing Jesus. He's the Omega with no end. If He were to come today, would you be ready to go home with Him?